Dat klopt, het zijn twee verschillende versies. Willen we die allebei? Ja, die wil je allebei. Zo. Oké. Welcome everyone. Can you hear me in the back? Oké. My name is Frank and I'm a hacker. This means that uh, my work is to hack other systems and test their security. Well, and this started out being a hobby. Uh, in the 90s, uh, I had some hacking crews and then we did some hacking competitions and set up some hackneys and we downloaded software and, and said, hey, let's find some vulnerabilities, some problems. So we learned C and kernel programming and all those buffer overflows in the other attacks. Uh, this was fun. Uh, you had two sides uh, in this time. Uh, you had the good guys and the bad guys. <laughs> you had the bad guys. Uh, they were really skilled, but they were bothering other people. Uh, when one of them, those groups, and if one, of, if one of them had a birthday, then they defaced 300 websites saying, hey, Marco, happy birthday. And those kind of are the things they did. Uh, we did things like setting up systems and trying to hack our own systems. But still, um, then there came this uh, new law, uh, yeah, Nieuwe Wet Computercriminaliteit. You probably know more about this than I do, because there are some uh, classes in it right now. But it basically said that anything you do is illegal, uh, even a ping command can be considered illegal. And things changed, not only for this law, but also because many people went pro. Uh, I also. I started working for a penetration testing company. Uh, named Pine Digital Security. And this company, um, well, we have customers, and they like to know, are we secure? So I get, each week I get a new website, and I can hack this, so uh, now you know the, the, the image, uh, whole night spending hacking and co Coke, uh, cola, pizza, and... And then you try to compromise, so you hack the system, and then you write a really nice report saying, well, we found SQL injection, and then we found this uh, administrative interface, and then we could use a default username and password to go there, and then we found uh, Microsoft Server this, and then we had a local exploit, and we could get local access, and then we had a local exploit for local root, and then we were scanning the rest of the network, and then we found this administrative uh, financial database, and we could compromise this, etc etc and then you had a really nice report like a very cool story saying oh, we did this this did this, this and these are your financial uh, numbers for example well now the client whoa this is not good i'm going to fix this so he goes to his programmers and his system administrators guys you need to fix this um, then they try to fix this and a month later they come back and say we fixed it and now we are secure. Do we have enough handouts also of the if two? Double sided. How far did we go? Stapled. How far do you get stapled versions? Yes, then we go here. Okay. So this client comes back a month later saying we are secure now, please test and verify. So I hacked them again in a completely different way. Really nice story again, found some other bugs and hacked them. 
And then they go fix and come back and hack them again. And then they go fix and they go back and then they hack them again. That's a good, nice way for us to work. Good for business. Not really, really good for customer because, well, in the end, you will never get it secure. You all know. Are we secure? No, you're not. If somebody spends enough money, enough time, enough effort in it, he will be able to get in. Even if he has to bribe everybody, he will get in. So when a customer comes to me and says, are we secure? I can say, I don't need to test. I can say, no, you're not. Okay, so security is well, about a level of security. Uh, my first website at, at GeoCities requires a different level of security than a bank. And some web shop, perhaps somewhere in the, in the middle. Well, I'm not going to talk a lot about this site because uh, I hope there are other classes teaching you about this. But what I did, I started a company named Certified Secure, and that's why I'm telling you this. Certified Secure is a company with a lot of hackers in there working, also some other companies. And what we do is we set standards for one, when is something secure and at what level. And for this we have checklists, which you now have in front of you. Uh, those checklists will tell you this is what a beginning hacker can do on a website. It's the basic scan checklist. It's the, the one without the stample. Staple, it's the, the one with only nine items or something like that. Beginning attacks, SQL injection, cross-site scripting, you've all heard about it. So if you have a, a website, you think, well, I only need to protect against the beginning hackers. Well, you can start with this checklist. If you are a bank, of course, you have to consider also very advanced attackers. So I also brought to you the advanced checklist, which is a lot more in-depth, and I think most of the things on there are not familiar to you. Uh, this gives you some reference of what is web security. Um, okay, now this is the presentation through the eyes of a hacker. And what I'm going to do today is talk about how do hackers compromise websites and try to teach you the process. Um, and then I will also tell, uh, do go into technical depth uh, about SQL injection and those kind of things. But you see the, the large checklist in front of you. It takes me 10 whole days to train somebody to be able to do all those tests. So in an hour and a half, I cannot teach this to you. What I can do is tell you the way I think when I try to compromise a website, the steps I do um, to get there, and I leave out a lot of technical things. I'm sure you're able to Google your technical things uh, when you think, hey, we have LDAP injection. I'm not going to talk about LDAP today because well, you only see it once a year when you do security testing like me. So then you have to Google and think, oh, what's LDAP, what can I do with it? But if you know how to attack the system, what steps you would do, then you know what to look for, and things become easy again. So, first, a presentation through the eyes of a hacker, telling you how hackers work, what are hackers, and how can you think like a hacker. Then there will be a break, and then we go in depth with some things like SQL injection. Okay. We all know security is important. And it's used to be not so important and it is getting more and more and more important. Ten years ago, companies said like security, yeah, we can do it if we have the time and well, 
we don't care about it that much and what are the chances of it really happening. Now there's even a security master, Kerkhoff's master into it. I see a lot of customers coming to me. Frank, we are going to start a project next year. We want to have, make sure it's secure, so please come on board right now and help us to make sure things are okay from the start. Well, this is pleasant. It's a good, it's a good shift. Um, but security, most people do not know how to think about security and work of security. Um, let me see, uh, are there Kerkhoff students in here? Okay. Are you first here, Kerkhoff? Second. So you already did security in organizations? You didn't? Is it also this course? And did you do Hacker's Hut? With Andries Brouwer, you still alive? Good, he's really nice. <laughs> um, so the others are um, just a, a computer science master students and perhaps bachelor students. Okay, so you do not have a lot of classes already in computer security. This is probably one of the few. Is that correct? Okay. Uh, you already have learned about some uh, networking things and cryptography things and other things. I will tell you how web hacking uh, works. And most of the time web hacking is hacking. We used to be able to compromise systems using uh, buffer overflows and format strings. So people with uh, hackers had know all about that. And it's tricky because uh, you have a program written in, in, in C and you have some memory problems. And if you do it wrong, the system crashes and you have to wait until the administrator starts it up again. So you get one shot. And it's hard because it's different every time. And it's complicated. But now we have websites and we have uh, languages like PHP. And every idiot can program PHP. It's really not difficult. It's really difficult to program it well and securely, but to make something functional work, yeah, not that difficult. So we have a lot of websites out there with crappy security. I think 90, 95% of the websites I get to test as a penetration tester are broken in all senses. It's, they have no idea what they're doing. So many, many, many websites out there right now do not know what they're doing. For a hacker, this is really nice. So let's say you want to hack a company. You just say, hey, this is your website. Okay, I'm going to do some attacks on this website. And then you can you gain entry to the web server. Most of the time, the website is already doing important things like customer information, uh, credit card information. Um, many functionality is moved to the website right now. So it's logical to attack the website also there. And if you make a mistake, it's no problem. Nobody will notice. There are no system administrators actually watching the log files every day. They're not, because there are so many requests and they will not see your attack. Um, so web security is what currently is hacking. Uh, web hacking is hacking. There are still some small areas that are not web hacking uh, when you have to when you have this root access on the web server, then you start to compromise the rest of the system. Well, this is where I use my buffer overflows and other things because you have to exploit Cisco routers and those kind of things. Okay, but to get there, it's web hacking. So that's nice. So with this presentation, you know most things you need to know about hacking and hackers. So security is important. Um, for the people uh, with a business background, uh, you will learn or you already know about risks. 
And what they do with risks is say, well, if there's a security problem, this is a risk. And we know how to handle risks. We have risk management. We want to know what is the expected cost of this security problem. And then we know how much it costs to solve. And if, well, the thing that is cheapest, we do. So either we leave the bug, the problem, and we do not solve it, or it's cheaper to solve it, and then we solve it. Well, this is not really working for hackers. I have a colleague uh, working for another company. He works for really big companies. And they say to him, well, you're a security expert. You tell me what is the likelihood this problem is going to occur, and what is the cost of it when, when this SQL injection happens, when they steal our database, what is it going to cost us? No idea. It's really, really hard. Okay. So when you are with um, secu uh, or security in organizations, keep this in mind. <laughs> it's nice to do risk management, but if you do not know the real numbers, it's really hard to do. Okay, more about the technical things. Um, the IT staff is responsible. Uh, this is simply, when I go to a customer saying, you have this problem, the first thing they do is say, you stupid programmers, you did it wrong. Or system administrators. And if they're smart, they also tell their managers that you, you have the wrong priorities. But in the end, the people actually doing the work are responsible for keeping and making sure it's secure. But when I look at most universities and uh, colleges, there is a really bad... Um, uh, information to students to how to do secure programming. For the people doing a uh, software engineering master at this university, well, there is not a course saying, I'm going to teach you how to do secure programming. So you have this thing, if you're, you graduate top of your class really good, you are a really good software engineer, and you go to a company, and then they expect you to do something you were not taught. Well, this is not really good. It's good for me because I get to do a lot of presentations. But really, it's important that the people know how to think. So I try to teach you today how to think like a hacker, then if you know how a hacker is going to work, if you are in a situation where you have to do security, which is very often, then you know how people are going to attack you. This is very useful information when you do security. Okay, IT staff, responsible. Okay, um, I have a very short well, not so short, a uh, clip of a movie. Uh, who here knows the movie Hackers? Ah, good. Then you know this clip. Uh, it gives a bit of background of things that hackers can do, and it used to be complete fiction, but now with everything moving to the websites, it's less and less and less fiction. Um, there, there are a lot of hackers there in this movie, and they work together, and they are bothered by some uh, secret agent, uh, whatever. And this agent is trying to frame them for something they didn't do. And, well, they're going to hassle him. So they are doing some hacking tricks to make his life miserable. You will see who the bad guy is. It's really dark. This is the guy they're trying to mess with. 
licht aan doen. Those who, who do not know this movie, it's really nice. It's really old school, really, really old school. Um, but it's cool. Um, yeah, we have Angelina Jolie in there, so that's good. Um, you see, most of the really scary things are moving to websites right now. And you also have this electronic patient uh, dossier. It's basically a website. We do not have access to it, but it's still the same. Um, so. Our job to stop them. And how do we do this? We have to think like an hacker. So a lot of very no, short clip. Okay. We think like a hacker. And here we we have one. It's a real hacker. His name is uh, Joost. <laughs> he's one of the top hackers here in the Netherlands. Uh, he really knows what he's doing. So we have to think like him. Um, okay, let's talk about how hackers work and do some technical things also. Step one, we try to see how the system works. Well, I can talk about this or I can show you. Let's say we have this website. Any of you in here did already the Hacker Mindset training someday? You did? Nobody? Some guys? Okay. You have to keep your mouth shut <laughs> because those guys already hacked this website in their training. Okay. This is a website. 
Let's say we want to hack this website. What do we do? Any ideas? What could we do? Let's start simple. Let's look at the source code. Source. Hmm. The resolution is not uh, brilliant. Much better. Okay, we have this website. We have the source code. So, nothing really interesting in here. You can see there's an author name named uh, Wim. And we see he cannot really do good web programming. He uses uh, iWeb. Well, not so useful, but it's a, it's a good start. So, we have this website. Next thing we do, we try to see how does it work, what can we do? So you start clicking. Well, you cannot really click on many things. We have here my debug output, Firebug for the, those of you who care. Okay, but that's it. Okay, what else can we do? This website, please tell me. It's a good idea. I think it's the fastest way also. <laughs> Especially if there's a, like a company directory somewhere. University of Twente, anybody? So we have a nice directory. Okay, so that's a good idea. Well, let's say we're not going to do that. It's a possibility, but for this we can do it purely technical. What else can we do? Yes. Check the URL for parameters. Check the URL for parameters. Okay, so this is the URL. You all know what a URL is. You also know that there are like arguments on in a URL that you give. So a website is really a program running at the server and you give it some input. And the input you give it is like this. Language is an, page is go away. So we can change the input. And when we change input, we can do this like go away too. When you do attacks, you normally want to be quiet. But this is website hacking. Nobody cares. Nobody's reading the log files. So when you're going to change something, make sure it breaks. Like that. More chance that something is going wrong. Okay. And now, something is going wrong. So that's good for us. What is happening here? Well, we have a an error message and we can read the message and think well what does this mean okay warning simple warning then we have file get contents what does that mean anybody in here programming PHP can tell me what file get contents means you get the contents of a file I said every idiot can program PHP well this is why 
Okay, so you get the contents of a file. Can you also tell me which file he is reading? Yes. So he is opening this file. Okay. And there's something wrong. He says, fail to open stream, no such file or directory. Well, this makes sense because, of course, there's not a file in the system named ANTH, etc. We made this file name up. He's trying to open it. Of course, it does not exist. Uh, you can see here, from my input, we have AN. And that's moved to here. And we see we have A and T, H, R, etc. moving to here. But we can also see not all of our stuff is copied there. Why not? Why can we see the, uh, the add sign and nothing more in our error? Yes? True. So it's because we put here this hash sign. If we remove this, we get more information. And also, this means something in a URL. So here you get your things. So you know, if I type here, hello there, what will be the error message? Can you tell me? What will the error message be? Yeah, it's simple, so tell me. Exactly the same? Okay, so it makes sense, right? En slash hello there. Okay, so what basically happens, let's see if we have. So he's doing file get contents. Languages, it's in the error. And then whatever sense as language. And then whatever sense Are you all comfortable with this syntax? I use variables, so I say this is a variable page, which is what I put after page is. This variable language, which I put after language is. Okay. So, and this is what the system is doing. This is my way of having a model of the system. This is what I think the system is doing. So what he's doing is, we open a file, we go to the language directory, then we go to the directory we say with en, with uh, language. Then we open the file, we say page. And I don't care how this is looking in your mind, but you now have an idea what is happening at the website. Um, and everybody has a different way of describing this model. When I ask hackers, they also have this type of model. When they do PHP programming, it will be look, look like this. It's literally the PHP code. 
But I also know people have literally a story in their mind, thinking, well, it's going into the language directory, then it's opening the file. Well, it's a story, it also works. That's weird. Yeah, there we go. Security, right? <laughs> you should see my disk encryption password. <laughs> um. <laughs> really? Could that be? Okay. So, now let's go back to the slides. We have this website. We analyze the errors, we get an idea of what's happening, and we make a best guess for the model this what is happening. Right? Okay, now we have an idea what is happening. We can go to step two. Find some vulnerabilities. Vulnerabilities. Well, for this we have a checklist. So you can take the basic checklist, it's the, the one page, the short one. And tell me, which vulnerability do you think uh, is applicable here? Could be applicable here. File name injection, well, makes sense, right? <laughs> Things are really easy, but... Okay, file name injection. Okay, can you also tell me how we're going to do this? Okay, so we want to read the index.php. So, if we go back to the website, mm -hmm. this is the index.php, right? So this is the file actually being executed. It's user local www distrocorp index.php. It's actually being executed. But what is going to do? This distrocorp is the current directory the application is running in. So from this distrocorp directory, it's going into the languages directory, going into en, then opening a file. So if we do this, There we go. Now you have a problem with the uh, your reading languages en. So, so he said, let's change the language to dot dot, right? Yeah. Can you can you all think about what's going to happen right now? What file is going to be executed or opened here? When you write it down, it's like we go uh, into. slash dot dot slash index what does it mean? what's going to happen? yeah so we go into the language directory then we go one back dot dot means we go back for those of you who used uh, ms-dos you know cd dot dot or those of you who use Linux or Unix or whatever, you also know cd dot dot, we go one directory up. So this makes sense and is going to work if our model is correct. So we do this and what happens? Could be, but then file get contents would not execute files, it will open files. But PHP contains a lot of HTML code. So if we look at source code, in here is included, you cannot read it probably, the source code 
of the file. Really nice. Now, without looking at this any longer, I'm going to teach you something a bit more about this model. Let's say we do, we leave this EN here, and we do this. What's going to happen? Not really. Yeah, so then we go to EN, dot, dot. So we need one extra because we also have the end directory. So dot dot slash. So you think this would work because our model wouldn't care about it. It doesn't, does not. Okay, why not? Of course, the code is the perfect model. What if we could not see the code yet? Let's look, I mean, I'm, I'm sure if you look at the code, we have the code, we can look at it, we can go on. But it's also useful to be able to think more like a black box thing and see what is happening. It is. So this means that we're saying a base name operation on these pages. So this means that whatever is in this page argument, we remove everything up till the last slash. So this means if I do this, hello students, blah slash, you get exactly the same error message because everything up till the last slash is deleted. We see we get exactly the same error message. So the, this model is good, but before this you have like um, page So with this information, you update your understanding of the website. Well, you already know we can still use the languages argument. So this is not going to be any useful. So we remove this. Okay, let's say I want to open the etc pass wd file. What am I going to enter? So I want to open this. I want to open this file. What am I going to enter in my URL? Yeah. So, there we go. Really good. So we have this model. We know what happens. So we go into languages, then we go back, 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 we go into etc, we open passwd. So now you're actually reading files on the web server. This is really useful. Okay. Uh, when I can do this, I'm sure I will get in. I don't know how much time it will take me, but... You can read source code, you can read backups, you can read password files, you can read whatever is on the system and readable. Um, in this case, we read the password file. If you look at the uh, source code, it's a bit more read readable. Yeah, password file. 
you all know what this file is doing on the system. If you have any Unix experience, you know this is a list of usernames. In the old days, even before my days, uh, there used to be also the hashed passwords in this file. Long time ago. Then they decided this is not really <laughs> really smart. So the password file or the passwords or the, the hashed passwords are moved to another file, for example, under Linux, this is etc shadow. But still, we have a list of usernames. It gives us a base of where we can go. Let me show you one other trick. If we want to see the contents of a directory, there are, you can open a directory as is a file, as, is, as is it is a file. For example, if we want to see the contents of etc, we do like this. We get the contents of etc. Isn't this uh, BSD specific? Yes, and Solaris, which is also BSD. So, next thing is, this does not work on Linux or Windows, but FreeBSD, OpenBSD, NetBSD, Solaris. Uh, if you open a file and it's actually a directory, the system is trying to give you the information, it's doing its best. Well, you can see the file names in here. It's not really pretty, but it gives an attacker nice information. So this means you can also browse the system and look at the directories and things. Hey, this is a nice file. For example, if you go to home directories, go to home, we know we have WIM. We can see here, oh, there's a text file in there, and there's history files and things like that. So this is nice, file name injection. And from here you're going to read source code, you're going to read backup files, you're going to read whatever you can find. And this gives you more information about the system, and then you can hack it some other way also. Okay. Let's continue with the presentation part. So we have vulnerabilities. Vulnerabilities are based on two things that can go wrong. Either the programmer has an assumption. What assumption did the programmer make? I assumed that I could just trust the user, enough trust the user, to not change the arguments in the URL. It's an assumption. Perhaps the programmer did not even know he had this assumption, but it's an assumption-based pro problem. So you have this checklist and says, well, directory file name traversal, we do this, we can read files. Okay, the other way things can go wrong is that you forget something. Also possible. So you do not really do something wrong, but you forgot to do something, and that's why it is wrong. So what did he forget? Well, one example is, for example, to forget to put authentication on every page. I forgot to check for authentication on each file in my administrative directory. It's not something you typed which was wrong. It's something you did not type, and therefore it was wrong. So we have checklist, missing authentication, of course. So if you go directly to admin start PHP, you get without authentication, well, the admin interface. So things split to things you do wrong. Uh, you always do things wrong, but you have assumptions that, and you have things you forget. And that's why the checklists are really useful. You also have also different type of checklists. You might know OWASP checklist, who in here does not know about OWASP. Okay, it's a checklist of, uh, they have a top 10, or they have multiple things, but they have a top 10 checklist stating the 10 most dangerous things on websites you can do wrong. Well, 
it's uh, like these checklists, but uh, more condensed. Uh, for example, they say top one, any injection. And we split it in, I think, 12 items. But uh, it's the same thing. Then they say top two, cross-site scripting. We say it's an injection problem, but you get the idea. Then they say authentication, which is missing. Uh, so using checklists can actually help you to see what things did I forget. And also tell you, hey, you should not assume anything. Okay. Then we start to use the vulnerabilities to do something useful. So, for example, you have the ability to execute commands on the web server. What's next? Well, one of the things we like to do as a hacker is get a shell. So you can execute your commands on a website, but still using PHP. What we want to do is have a connect back shell, so we can actually have a terminal saying I type my commands, and we get the input back, the output. Uh, for this, you have nice things like netcat or socat. We have a four-line Perl file which we can upload, and then this is going to do a connect back. Uh, connect back means the web server is initiating a TCP connection back to our server. And when we accept this TCP connection, you can see here. Can you? No. Um, before this, more up, we say we listen at a certain TCP port. We wait for a connection, then the web server is connecting to this and presenting us with this nice shell. This is useful because often there's a firewall in place. So we can, we used to do in the old days, we used to uh, open up a server on, uh, open up a port on the web server itself, and then connect to that port and have a shell. But a firewall is protecting against it, but the firewall often allows outgoing connections. So then the web server is initiating this connection and we can receive it and still have our shell. And when we have local access, Local user access, we always get local root access because the kernel is one of the things that is the most difficult to um, harden to protect. And there are so many kernel bugs out there, so many not yet disclosed also, which are known by the evil hackers. It, w when you secure a system, always assume when they have local access, they have local root. You cannot say, oh, it's only a user, it's safe. It's never safe. Um, the other thing you can do, um, well, you have this access, then what do you do? You know security, confidentiality, is integrity, and availability, three components of security. So either you break the system so nobody can use it, or you change the data in the system so nobody can trust the information in there, or you attack the confidentiality so you read the credit card numbers or the usernames and the password or those kind of things. This is a hack we did in 2000, um, Netherlands, Noiken. Uh, that's Joost, those curly brackets, that's me. Uh, what we did was we hacked uh, Slashdot, uh, but those are nice guys, and back in those days, if you hacked them and did something like this, so you put a, we posted a story that we compromised them. It's posted by Commander Taco, but actually, it was us, of course, uh, posting this article there. And we contacted them. They said, well, you had a development server running. And on this development server, there was a default username and password, which is also in the documentation of the slash code, uh, slash dot code. So we could log in on the development system. And this development system 
and the vulnerability in administrative interface that we could upload our own templating system. So we upload our own templates, the templates are rendered using our Perl, so we can execute code on it, then we uh, saw, hey, they are connecting to the same database. Oh, this system is being used as a backup database for that system, so we could read the live database, uh, or a copy of the live database, so we could get the password of Commander Taco, then we could log in on the live site with this password, and then we could... Uh, post this article. It was fun, and uh, they didn't really mind because they thought, hey, this is a nice way of uh, doing, making things more secure. But nowadays, this is very illegal, even if they do not have a complaint. Um, it depends a bit on the country. I was in Taiwan, because we had a, won a hacker a championship or something like that, and I was there sitting um, pasta, uh, eating pasta with all those uh, people from Taiwan and Korea also, and they were like, <laughs> and they were eating their pasta, and there was this guy next, next to me saying, hey, I'm uh, somebody important in uh, Korea, my job is to catch hackers, and I don't care if there's a complaint, if there are packets going through our country with attacks, it's my job to make sure they go in to, uh, to jail. And you're sitting there, oh, nice. <laughs> and this was in 2002, so and things only go worse. They don't need much anymore to say hey, it's illegal. They don't need complaints. So be careful out there. Um, recap before we have a small break. You have hackers attacking the network. I'm trying to teach you how to think like them so we can stop them. So think like a hacker. Let's have a break and then in uh, 15 minutes we uh, continue with more technical things. We have another website. People in the back, let's continue. Another website. Um, it's a bit dark again, but I really cannot change that. But you can see the you can see the URL, so that's the most important thing. Okay, we have a website, and we're going to hack it. So, please tell me what do you think is wise to do. Yeah. Yeah. True. And since this is the only thing you can read actually on the slide, uh, I think it's a good idea to start here. Yeah. Okay. So he says, let's try to change something in the URL and see if there's database behind it and we can use SQL injection. Okay, so we change it, and we can change it into two, but like I said, you can also make it a bit more interesting. Ooh, very interesting. <laughs> like I said. Okay, now what do we see? You can see the white, you can see all the important things, so that's really nice. Okay. What is this error telling us? Yes, there's a database. 
MySQL database, yes. And there's something going wrong, right? Well, since we put some terrible things in the URL, it's probably our fault. So that's good, because then we have some influence on what's happening. The nice thing about hacking, if you say input, is that if this web application and it's connecting to the database, and this is you, so you give it some information, and this is using your information when connecting to the database. This is really nice, <coughs> because now you can have some impact, and now you can try to hack it. Okay, connecting to the database, how does this work? What is the web application doing? How does he connect to the database? Yeah, so he sets up a TCP IP connection or a local, uh, local domain socket, if it's local, but okay, he sets up a connection. And then, what does he do? How does he communicate? What's the protocol? So there is this, let's start at the bottom, <laughs> well not really, you have TCP IP, then you have some MySQL layer, some protocol uh, doing authentication, and then on top of this is SQL as, com as a query syntax. Who of you knows about SQL? Did you all follow the, the courses? Yes. Okay, let's see who does not know about SQL. That could, could hap can happen, it's no problem. Most of you do know about SQL. So, in, in short, if we have a database, and with some IDs with a name and a body for articles so we have ID 1 is test and we have article 2 um, with test 2 with uh, So now we can query the database using SQL command, doing something like select name body from pages. And what does this command? Return. What does it return on the database? This is the database. And the database is named uh, pages. What does it what does this command do on this database? Okay, so he returns test hello test two 
world. Okay? Simple. Okay. And what if he only wants to see the first page? Then he adds something to it where ID is 1. You can see? So this is the trivial thing with SQL. You have a command syntax and you can use this to query the database. Okay, let's make it interesting. Okay. So, the system is using page ID, so it's probably doing something like select star. Do you agree? And star means every column. So, for example, we don't know what the, but it could be ID, title, body, date, whatever. Some, he selects some things from the database. Okay. This page ID, with a dollar sign in front of it, means we can put anything we want in here. What we just did was put this in there. So, so this is what is being transmitted to the database. You can imagine why this is going wrong. You can see it, right? This goes wrong because we put some crap in there. If we make it like where ID is one, where ID is one, we get a website. You see here some information from the database. Welcome to eVault. If you make it two, we see nothing, not even something in white. So when we make it two, this is what happens. And now we see nothing on the website returning. I'm trying to guide you to make some, some model of how the system is working. So tell me, why do we get an empty page when we say ID is 2? And do we get welcome to eVault when we say ID is 1? There is no page 2. So if this is our database, then this is not there. And so we have only one row, so no return, but also no database error, no syntax error. Okay, now let's see if we can um, make this a bit more useful. First thing we need to make sure is that we actually can change something in this query. We only no, we have one, when we say one, we get the page, when we say two, we get no page, and when we make it crap, then we get an error. That's the only thing we know right now. So, one of the things you would like to do is make this end. One is one. What? is the difference between this and without the and one is one. They are identical. Makes sense. 
So we want from the database the name and the body from a row with ID is 1 and 1 should be equal to 1. 1 is always equal to 1. So when we type, this is the part we put in the URL, right? So if we put in the URL 1 and 1 is 1 and we get exactly the same page, this is useful information. So we put this in the... And we get the same page. If there was not a database, or that something else was happening, then this would give, have given an error. Because normally when you say, I want page number 1 and 1 is 1, this is only useful in the context of an SQL query. Well, let's make sure. So, we also try with 1 and 1 is 2. Now what's going to happen? Does it make sense that this is going to be an empty page? Yeah. So, we had this returning an empty page because there was no ID 2 in the database. This is also going to return an empty page, if you are correct, because there is an ID in the database with which is 1, but 1 is never equal to 2, so when you combine the two, there should be an ID with 1, that's true, and something this is false, well, true and false, Boolean logic, it's false. Empty page. So, we have a very clear understanding of what's happening. We have some database command being executed here, and the thing with the lines under it, is what we can change and make whatever we want. Okay, so this means that you can read all the, uh, all the names and the bodies and all the information from the page table. Because you can make this ID is 1, make this ID is 2, make this ID is 3, and then try to read all the pages. Is this really useful? Is it yeah, yeah. So this database or this table is not the most interesting information we want. It could be, for example, I did some penetration testing for uh, uh, gemeentes. I don't know the English word, but like a, a local government. Municipalities. Hmm? Municipalities. <laughs> Okay, and this, um, they had ID is 1 in the URL, ID is 2, and then when you get to 1,000 or 8,000, then you get the administrative pages. And then you go even, and then between you get the pages that are officially deleted, but you can still access them using by directly. So it could be interesting, but you do not need SQL injection for this. You can just change the ID in the URL. Different attack. When you look at your... Uh, uh, checklist, it's uh, identifier-based authorization because you have access to the pages because you know the identifier, the identifier is 1000 for example, this is not a really good thing for security. But SQL injection, we want something useful. What do we want to do? What could we wish for when we do SQL injection? We can com 
we can control the database commands. Name something we could try to do. Get logon credentials. So we get usernames, get passwords from the website. These are most likely stored in the same database. Different table. It's not stored in the pages table, right? It will be stored in a table named users or credentials or whatever. So what we basically want to do is enter a completely different query. For example, select password from users, right? This is a command we like, being a hacker. Still with me on this? So, well, there's one trick to do this. And some of you already know it. Because, but I'm going to show you how you could have figured this out without knowing the exact command. Okay, let's say, got it already? Let's say we have a database. It's a MySQL database. Whoa, it's a new website. Okay, the first time I was doing SQL injection for a client, it was very difficult to get information from the database. What we needed to do, what we did years ago, was um, and where ID is one and and then we were selecting information, so it's a blind SQL injection attack. Here is some space and. One is select one from um, users where password like a percentage and ID is one, slows, okay. Let's see if you can follow this one. Okay. This is blind SQL injection. Uh, complicated version of doing SQL injection. I'm going to show you the easy way later. So what is happening here? You can read the statements. It's SQL, so it's just English, so it's simple to follow. Yes, so what's doing, I have my separate query, select one from users where password starts with A, uh, like A percentage means start with A. If there's a, so if there's a password for user ID one, so ID is one, if there's a password that starts with A, I return one, and then we know one is one, so we get the normal page back uh, on the, so we get the normal page. And if 
the password did not start with an A, we get nothing, empty, because this statement will return empty, one is not equal to empty, so this way we can test if the first user's password starts with A, we know, if it doesn't, we try B, we try C, we try D, we try E, D, okay, E, we get the page back, we know it's hit, then we do E, A, E, B, E, C, etc. so for each character we can try this. This is really important to know if you do not get your information back on your screen. So it's a blind SQL injection. You do not, the only thing you know is is it an error or not. And this is cool because even this information you can use as a side channel to get your information from the database. Advanced SQL injection. But there's also a much simpler way of doing things. And therefore we look at the uh, SQL documentation. Okay, we have this reference material. Oh, I'm sorry, I cannot fix the, no, perhaps, this worked last time. Aha. they had some place with power then the screen would not go to sleep okay yeah. okay let me talk about this we have a reference this is the first time I did this type of attack so what you do you go to to the uh, documentation you think well what is possible if you know all the possibilities and look at it super thank you <laughs> So when we look at all the possibilities, then we can also see what can we use being a hacker. So we look at this documentation. We know it's an SQL statement. It's a data manipulation. It's a select statement. There. OK. Is this at all readable? Yes, it is. OK. So this is everything that is possible when your command starts with Select. But there's more. Uh, we know this command starts with select. We know there are some columns in here. We cannot change because there's also from pages where ID is, and this is the place where we can change something. So we're going to look at the reference and see what can we do from this place on. So we look at the documentation. We see select. Um, and yeah, oh, there. Select, select expression. So th those are the columns. We cannot change all of this, any of this. From table name, we cannot change it. It's hard coded. It's there. We can change something. Where here, yeah, this where condition. Now we can change something. Okay. Now think like hackers. I've shown you the difficult way this way of using this where expression to get information, but it's a difficult way. It couldn't be simpler. So you look at the rest of the statements. Uh, group by. Is this going to give you any different information from the database? You group the inf you have information you're not interested in because the information is from the pages table. And you can group them. 
Is it going to give you extra new information you're interested in? No, it's not. Okay, having, and with another condition. So it's also limiting the information you already not care about. So it's not helping you. Um, order by, so you can sort, the, uh, you can order the information, it's get useful. No, you're not interested in the information, so you do not care about the order. Uh, limit, well obviously limit is not going to give you more information, it's going to give you less information. Procedure, can that be useful? Can it be? Well, if you don't know it, then it's time to look it up and see what's happening there. Well, procedure means you can execute uh, stored procedures, so there's, there's like little programs programmed in your database, and you can call them, execute them. So depending on your database, this could be useful. If there is a nice procedure, you can start using it. For example, uh, the Microsoft database, MS SQL, has a really nice procedure named XP underscore CMB shell. And this nice procedure gets an argument and executes it in a shell. Uh, this is really, really useful. So you just, if you have your simple SQL injection, you have command access on the server because there's a nice procedure you can use. Well, in this instance, in this MySQL database, there are not any useful procedures. Okay, so we continue. Next is into outfell. Can that be useful? Hmm. Sounds, you can write files, interesting. Well, let me tell you a very short story uh, of hacking apache.org. You know Apache, it's a web server. They have a website, apache.org. And also in 2000, we pulled a little prank on them. We compromised their server, but we also know those guys, so we, they didn't really mind. And they, again, we sent an email directly after saying, this is what we did, this is what you should do. Um, but what we did was, um, we started uh, finding there was an FTP server with an incoming directory, so you could upload things to the FTP server. Okay, but then we found out that the things you upload on the FTP server are also accessible using the web server. So if you upload a PHP file on the FTP server, in the incoming directory, then you can browse to apache.org slash incoming slash your file. And then you can execute your PHP file. Well, you can imagine that you can write really nice things in your PHP file, have local commands execution, so you can execute any commands you want. It's your PHP file. So now you have local access to the web server. But it's local user access. We could have used a kernel bug. But the tricky thing about those things is that it often fails and then they have to restart the system because if you do a buffer overflow or whatever in your kernel and you mess it up, then the system hangs and you have to wait until the system administrator wakes up and resets the server. So you get one shot. And there was a database running. This was in 2000. There was a MySQL database running and it was running with root privileges, which was common back then. And we also had the, this nice option into outfell. So we t t had, uh, had to look at the source code of the website. Uh, there was some Mantis application. So it was connecting to the database. You can read the source code. So you can see the password for the database. So you can connect to the database. 
And then we used IntoOutFile to write some information. Uh, IntoOutFile, the output of your query is going to be written into a file. Limitations are, it must be a file that can be written by the user running the, uh, the database. In this case, it was root, so not really a restriction. You can write anywhere you want. The other restriction is you cannot overwrite or append files. So you have to create a new file. So what we did was create a slash root slash dot profile, which was not existing yet. And it's a startup script that if root logs in, it's executing dot best profile, dot profile, it's all those files if they exist. So we created one of them and we put a nice backdoor in, copy bash to some other location, make it uh, set user the root, and then you have a backdoor. And we could use the MySQL database to write this file. Well, after we did this, of course, things started to change really quickly. So now, MySQL is not running as root, well, as it is normal, because there's no reason to run such a service with all the privileges. And the other thing is that you cannot use into outfile anymore. Uh, if you get all the you do um, grant all privileges to this user, you still do not have privilege to write files. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Those, this is what hackers are. They do something one time and then they fix it. Uh, you, the the interart file only works if you are the root account of the database. So if some website is not having its own account but uses root to log into the uh, MySQL database, you can use interart file. Not the case in this example. But it's nice information. You learn a lot about reading references. Okay. Into out file, into dump file, into variables for updates. So not all that interesting. But then we have select is used to retrieve rows selected from one or more tables and can include union statements. Union statements. That's interesting. So you read on. This, this is what I did. And what does it do? It says, well... I'm going to execute two queries, and uh, we combine the two with a union. So we have those two queries. Let's So what are we going to do? We can write here one, and then we can simply write union. Oh, this is union, and then your next query. This is really cool. So what happens now? What happens is the database select name, comma body from pages where ID is one, so he gets some result. For example, hello and uh, hello and world, whatever get some result. Then he said, union, union select password from users. So he selects the password from users, gets this result, combines the two, and this is the total result. So now we are able to get some information from another database or another table. So let's try this. Um, let's first. So we have this. And now we do it, union select Make sense? 
And everything starting from 1 is what we type in the URL. So from here we, we type it in the URL. This is nice, but it's going to be wrong in two counts. First one. Too many rows. Too many rows, yes. You have the first command, select ID, title, body, date from pages, four rows, uh, four columns, right? Four columns, you select four columns. Then the second command, select password from users, is only one column. Well, then one column, four columns, tries to put them together, does not fit, you'll get an error. So, that's the first problem. Do we know how many columns are actually being queried by the database? Do we know that? We have this. This is all we know. Do we know how many columns are selected in the first query? No? Okay. Now, then we need a trick to find out how many columns are there. Well, we can do it simple and difficult. The simple way is we simply do union select one. So we try it with one column. If we get an error, it was not one column. Now we try it with one comma two. We get no error, so it's two columns. This takes a bit long when you have 25 columns, but it works. Uh, the other thing you could do um, for, the, for the people who like the technical things, you could do uh, order by one. Now you order by the first column, it, no error. Order by two, you can order by the second column. Order by three, you get an error because there are only two columns. And this is nice because now you can do a binary search. So this means um, we think, well, there are maximum 100 columns. We don't know how many, so we try 50. If we get an error, it's less than 50 columns. If we get no error, it must be more than 50 columns. So then we get an error, so we try 25, then we try 12, and then we try 17, and so we split it in the middle. And with, uh, well, only seven tries you have, uh, with only seven tries you know the amount of columns from one to 100. So it's quite efficient. In this case, it's only two columns. So that's simple. Okay, I did union select one comma two. The reason I did not do this directly is that now you get an error and you do not know why you get this error it could be because the number of columns is incorrect it could be because there is no table named users it could be that there is no column in this table named users it could be that there is no column in this table named pass and this means that um, you have no idea what to fix and you try to limit it. So we do select one and two. Three. So the only thing when you get an error right now that can be wrong is the amount of columns. And this is really useful. So the only thing you know is that I'm not correct right now is the number of columns. Now I am. So now you can try to uh, find a table name. So you do select from users. No error. If I try it from users not exist, you get an error. 
So from users, now you can try the username. No error, so that works. Now we can try password. No error, so it works. But where is my information? In the second row, which is in display. So it does select title, comma body from pages. Gives you welcome to eVault and some things you cannot read. This is the first row. Second row is the username and the password you're interested in. They're both combined, given to the web application, and he is only displaying you the first result. How do you get to the second? Make sure the first query doesn't return any result. Make sense? So he said, make sure the first query does not return any result. We already know how to do this, because we had an empty page a lot of times. How did we get the empty page? Page ID is 2. So now the first query is empty, and you get actually William at Distalcorp, which is the username. And if I select this, you can probably read also the password. Is this the password? It's an MD5 hash. It's a hashing algorithm. It's made so that you cannot re reverse back to the password. Okay, there are many ways to crack this. Uh, you could download John the Ripper and try, what's the hash of A? Is it the same? No. What's the hash of B? Is it the same? Yes, okay, the password is B. And this way works, and works really well. You could uh, give John the Ripper also a dictionary, so a list of commonly used passwords. So he does not have to try A, B, C, but can try only usable passwords. You can also try a dictionary. Uh, attack, uh, but the other way around. It's a rainbow table. So all of the world, people know we have this MD5 hashing algorithm. So if you try all the passwords with A, and you try all the passwords with B and C and D, and then you make your own databases with all the hashes for all possible passwords starting with A, B, C, and D, then we combine the four databases, and now we can look up all passwords starting with A, B, C, or D in this big database. Okay, so that's good. Um, you can always try to Google it. So we take this hash, and we put it in Google. Yeah. <laughs> there are many dictionaries already indexed by Google, and this is the, really the fastest way. So we have here, and the five hash of secret and its variants. There it is. So this is the password. Username is Wimit Distal Corp. This password, there we go. Contents of your vault, and because the screen, you cannot read it. Ha <laughs> ha. It's, uh, it's a script I've written. Uh. Okay, I think my time is nearly up. Um, let's get to the thing I could ask me to tell you. Uh, there's a practical assignment. Um, and I don't know if it's for everybody or only the uh, non-Kirkhoff students. Okay, let me tell you what I've created so you know what is to be hacked. Um, any, of you, any of you already heard about the Zomer hack? Yeah? Any of you did it already? Zomer hack. The Zomer hack, um, so for the 
Kirchhoff masters it's just a matter of ego. You have to do it and you really fail if you cannot do this. For the non-Kirchhoff uh, students, this is actually one-fifth of your grade, so be sure to do it. Let me show you what it is. We have this website, Certified Secure. It's our website. And here you have Zomac level 1, 2, and 3. So you go to 1. And there's this story, Hack the Ministry of Obfuscation. Uh, for the people who do not speak uh, Dutch, you have Google Translate, but let me, let me make it very simple. <laughs> let, me tell you let me tell you the story. There's this evil conspiracy, we don't know what it is, but we want to see what, what's there. So we have a Ministry of Obfuscation and Transparency, Transparency, and there's this guy named Jeffrey van der Oetelaar, tot Bunnik. He has an email address. Here this is his email address. And we're going to hack his webmail. This is the first thing to do. So this is his email address. So you start with your Zomer hack. His webmail. So this is his email address. And you try to get into his account. So you try some usernames or some passwords like secrets. Well, it doesn't work. But this is the start. And you have three levels. And I can assure you the first first one is really simple. You do not need SQL injection or those kind of things. You need to be smart, use Google, those kind of things. Very simple. The second level is some SQL injection thing, so it's not that difficult. The third level is more difficult, so you will have to actually spend some time on it. The first things you will spend some minutes on it, and the, the third one is actually a bit harder. If you fail to figure it out, you have to work harder on it, but we also have hacking dot, well it's, um, we also have a forum, and there we have Webwereld Zomerhack, and I don't care if you start talking in, in English there, but there are people helping each other out with some tips. You will never get a clear answer like, this is what you have to enter, but you have some people who will tell you, Perhaps you should Google SQL injection, <laughs> those kind of things. So you will, and we're, we're, we're moderating there, so there will not be clear cut, this is the real copy paste, this is your answer, but we will allow people to help each other. So this is a place uh, where there are actually hackers who can help you. Uh, this is a, a challenge we did with Webwereld in the summer. There were 750 people participating. And of those, um, 250 succeeded with the complete uh, thing, and those are Webwereld readers. So if you know Webwereld, you know that those people are not really the smartest people uh, around. <laughs> so you should be able to do all three levels. Okay, I would like to thank you for your time. Maybe you can tell them that they have to send me. Uh, yes, oh, that's true. I have to tell you that you have to... <laughs> um, there is a one way for ICO to know if you succeeded in all those challenges. There are three challenges, three levels, and it works like this. Um, when you go to certifiedsecure.com, you have to register. So you go register, register, you have this flag going to uh, English. So you have to register. And when you're registered, you can log in. So you log in. 
And now you have this ID here, CS ID, this one. And this is the ID you send to ICO before you begin. The ID can then be used by ICO to see how good you, what you did, because then it goes like this. And you can read your profile and the skills, and you can see Zomerk level 1, Zomerk level 2, Zomerk level 3, if you did it or not. All the other things are also really nice, um, but Zomerk 1, 2, and 3 are the important things to focus on first. Uh, and if you have to send uh, a, GM, a small, small report where you told me uh, how you did it, so if someone wants to take over the identity of someone else, So you fill in the report in the end, so he knows you actually did this. I wish you all the luck, luck, and good luck.